Welcome to Base Space. A crypto podcast. Base Space. Welcome to the Base Space. Uh, for those listening in, maybe new, uh, it's hosted by myself, the Crypto Mewtwo, Chase Coins, and Super High. And we focus on creating opportunities for growth, networking, and education in the crypto industry. Uh, today, we're on to have Brantley, Director of Operations at, e- at ENS. Welcome to the show, Brantley. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Pretty awesome. I'm talking to Mewtwo. I didn't know Mewtwo had gotten into crypto. Yeah, the one and only. You know, you know I'm on top of things. <laughs> you too was like, it was kind of always funny because it was just like the second one of something, but he was like the best Pokemon, wasn't he? Something. I don't know. That's what I remember. Yeah. You, yeah did you uh, you play uh, any of the like Game Boy games, like blue or red? I did, yes. Um, yeah. I mean, back in the day. <clears throat> Let's go. <laughs> that's, that's what we like to hear. I mean, Dude, I can't wait for Pokemon to drop their first NFTs. Oh, man. So, it's, it's it's obvious. Time. Yeah, it's, it's inevitable. I mean, you know, it may happen sooner or later, but it's inevitable. Yeah, yeah. And I don't, I don't know if you saw, like, I don't know if you follow, like, Pokemon and the whole Logan Paul scandal. Uh, I did. I, well, I saw that video. That was incredible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of bullish for NFTs, right? Like... <laughs> Yeah, that's right. The yeah, box, the question of the provenance and the history and everything, absolutely. Yeah, it's crazy. Billion dollars. Can we, can we uh, <laughs> take a second to admire Brantley's hexagon, uh, Abby, real quick? I did see that. <laughs> I just realized that. <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah, I mean, look, all I'm going to say is there's the hexagons and there's the circles on Twitter. <laughs> that's it. We are not the same. I, I got to <laughs> upgrade. <laughs> It's cool. I, I mean, fine. look, right? I'm impressed just like more that uh, Justin Taylor and co were capable of like navigating a big kind of older web to company to successfully create and ship some new cutting edge thing like like that. That's impressive to me. Like, whoa, you know, you know what I mean? Like, most companies, they kind of harden up, they do their thing, and that's it. But this is very impressive to me that Twitter's doing this. Yeah. How much do you think that kind of goes to credit for – I mean, the way I view Twitter, I feel like Twitter is kind of the the premier social media presence and platform when it comes to blockchain and crypto. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, they are now. Uh, I mean, I'd say there have been three um, – <clears throat> Sorry, I've had this persistent cough here. I had COVID uh, earlier this month. It was it was miles short. I just had this lingering cough. Um, I'd say there's been like three eras. So the the beginning of Bitcoin and everything, the 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 locus of conversation was on BitcoinTalk.org, right? And so you go to BitcoinTalk.org, it still exists, and you can like read all the original posts, like Satoshi and like the original debates and a fascinating thing about it is that a lot of the same things that our people are debating today, it's, it was all there at the beginning. Like it's kind of incredible. People realized kind of the, the contours of how this thing was maybe going to develop pretty early on. And now we're just still, you know, kind of living that out. And a lot of the even ideas of 
you know, what's happening on Ethereum now, a lot of those ideas originated um, early on, you know, on BitcoinTalk.org years ago. That was the first era. And then, of course, the second era was Reddit. So at some point, everything transitioned to Reddit, and Reddit was the locus of conversation of the cryptocurrency space for many years. In fact, um, uh, it actually was one subreddit was like where everything was. It was r slash Bitcoin. Like that was it. That was the conversation in the world. And turned out that, that one subreddit, do you guys know this story? Am I, am I telling you something you guys already know? Nope. Keep going. Okay, this is like critical to like understand the history of how we got here. That one subreddit was had as the head moderator one person named Themos, T H E Y M O S. Okay, and he has a real name. I can't remember what it is, but it's, it's public if you Google it or something. Okay, <clears throat> and in 2015, a big debate broke out about should Bitcoin raise its block size limit or not? Should it have small blocks or bigger blocks? And people were debating it, which was fine. Uh, but Thamos, he was a small blocker. He said, I'm the head moderator. I'm just going to ban anybody who disagrees with me. This was a huge deal because literally there was no other place for people to talk. It was a huge deal and it caused a huge rift. Um, and it even helped helped Ethereum early on because a lot of there was a huge brain drain of people in 2016 who were so fed up with the terrible tactics of that, that they left the Bitcoin community for Ethereum in like 2016, 2017. Anyway, that was the Reddit era. And then everything kind of switched over to Twitter. Now just Twitter's one big uh, group chat. Yeah, man, <laughs> that's wild. I, I have I have heard that story before, but it's really good to to get it on record and for people that, that might not be familiar with it. Uh, kind of curious, Brantley, like what was your like first exposure into crypto? Like how did you originally get started? I first heard about Bitcoin in early 2013. Uh, there was a, usually in bull runs, there's a run up in the spring and then a 60% drop and then another run up at the end of the year that happened in 2013. Bitcoin went from like $10 to $200 for the first time. It was in the news. Um, I started following it then. Uh, but then I'd say it was at the very beginning of 2015, I'd say it's sort of like a conversion moment a little bit where it was sort of something I was interested in, but then it became like a full-time passion. It's been a full-time passion since early 2015. That's amazing. And what kind of led you over to ENS? Like, have, have you worked at other crypto companies before before starting there? Or how'd you, how'd you wind up? Well, so, you know, in the pre-Ethereum era, uh, there really honestly wasn't much going on because there's not much to do with Bitcoin. There were a couple of companies and... A few things going on, but there wasn't much to do. We were debating these, like, you know, protocol parameters, like the block size limit. Then uh, with Ethereum, of course, like, massively changed the whole game because now we have this huge explosion of new types of things and non-currency use cases and all these things. It's incredible. And it's created a much, much bigger ecosystem of more companies and things going on. Um, And... uh, I remember when ENS launched in 2017, May 2017, I was just a user. Um, I, I created my own website, something called Flippening.watch in 20, summer 2017, which was comparing uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum on certain parameters. And uh, Ethereum actually came very close to flipping Bitcoin in 20, 2017. It got to be 85% of the way there, like way closer than it's been anytime soon. But it, people thought it was going to happen. 
it didn't. It became the flopping. But I, I had that website that was kind of popular then. I, I was involved in some smaller projects in 2018. Uh, and at the very end of 2019, I applied for a job at, at the, on the ENS core team. And I started January 2019. I've been there since then. That's amazing. And obviously, like you've been there for quite some time, director of operations. Um, I'm kind of curious, like throughout your time at ENS, like what has been like one of the most important lessons that you've learned by being in the crypto space? Yeah, it's funny. Actually, I think tomorrow is my three year anniversary. That's incredible how long it's been. <clears throat> oh, uh, here's one. Um, you don't you don't know how things will play out until they play out. And what I mean by that is a couple, couple, let me give a couple applications of this principle. I think this is actually really important for newcomers to know because I think many newcomers get tricked by not understanding this. If, if somebody says, I'm going to build X technology, if it's never been done before, it doesn't exist yet, it may never exist. Even if the people seem like they have good backgrounds, and they seem earnest, and they, they even think they're going to, and they have a clear path technologically. <clears throat> if it doesn't actually exist yet, it might not ever exist. Because whenever you try to build new technology, you always run into unexpected problems, unexpected problems. Oh, that thing you thought you had a solution, but actually it's harder than you thought, or whatever it is, happens all the time. So just because some projects and their marketing says, we're going to do this or we will do this. Don't, so many newcomers, they think, well, then it's going to happen. No, 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 it might, but actually it probably, probably won't because new technology is hard. Um, another thing, I, another application of that principle to me is like a lot of people try to do like game theory predictions of what people will do or how people react will react to certain technologies. And people are almost always wrong. Like I've been through so many cycles of people saying, well, this is what's going to happen if we do this or if we do that or blah, 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 or here's how people are going to use it. Very smart people using their, you know, good arguments. And then we let it play out. And it's like nothing anybody predicted. I mean, a great example of this is like the whole NFT craze. Like, let me tell you, it was not the conventional wisdom, even in the deep, hardcore crypto people, even a year ago, that anything like this NFT craze would have happened. I mean, this really came out of nowhere. I mean, like another example would be, I remember back in the day, people said uh, hard fork upgrades can't ever happen because people won't be able to have enough consensus. You'll always have uh, chains left behind. And now Ethereum, you know, does it all the time. So uh, look at what actually happens and be humble enough to revise your views based on, you know, experience and the facts. Yeah, it's a, it's a wild space. It's definitely, definitely still the Wild West. And we're still so early that, you know, so much change can happen. And uh, I think for me personally, like the best thing I've done is try to learn at least one new thing every day and just uh, be open minded, right, to new ideas that you might have previously rejected. But maybe if you dug a little bit deeper into it, uh, you know, you would have kind of discovered that golden nugget, nugget right? Yep, absolutely. Hey, um, Brantley, for those who, who are kind of new to crypto, because we do have um, a lot of new listeners, we are on Spotify and YouTube, so wherever everyone's hearing this, could you tell us what uh, ENS is and what it's used for? And then 
to kind of just elaborate mm-hmm. on why ETH domains are important for Web3. Yeah, so ETH is a decentralized identity and naming protocol. Uh, it's nonprofit. It's owned by the community. It's run by a DAO. Um, <clears throat> and uh, ENS has the potential of being extremely important to the world. It, it has a shot at that. Um, because it's the first time the world has ever, ever had a decentralized identity protocol that has gotten traction. That's I, Decentralized identity protocols have not even really been possible until recently. And there have been other, many, many other attempts uh, just haven't really gone anywhere in ENS, which wasn't even actually trying to be an identity protocol, but it's kind of like stumbled into that accidentally, uh, has actually gotten significant traction. Um, you can, there's three main use cases with, with ENS names. The first is it's your portable Web3 username and profile. So in the Web2 paradigm, you have an account and profile and all that for each service. It's like siloed on each service. In Web3, you have an account that you own, you control, and you take with you to each service. This is a completely different paradigm. Like, it's actually, it can be kind of confusing in your mind at first. You're like, wait, how does it work? Because, like, we're not used to this. But it's like it's like having an account for the internet and that then you use for all of your internet things. And once you flip your mind to it, you're like, oh, well, like, that's like how it always should have been. Um, you get used to it very easily. So you can have your, your name, like I am Brantley.eth. Nobody else has that. I can set an avatar. I can set profile data. And I, that can be used in any application. In fact, it's used in hundreds of apps in Web3. Uh, and we're actually working on trying to get this even used by non-crypto apps. Uh, a lot of that's coming from the sign with Ethereum initiative. <clears throat> anyway, that's the first use case. The second uh, use case is simplified crypto payments. So you can store any cryptocurrency address. You, know, you have these long addresses, not user-friendly. Store all of your cryptocurrency addresses from different blockchains in your ENS records, and then you can receive any payment or NFT um, to your name. So, like, you can send Dogecoin to Brantley.eth. <clears throat> a lot of people don't know that. They think it only does Ethereum stuff, but actually it supports any blockchain. The third major use case is decentralized websites, um, which are pretty self-explanatory. The other key thing to know about ENS, to understand it, is that um, <clears throat> it has two types of names. The first type of name, uh, it's .eth names. So people have seen those like on Twitter. Uh, those are native to ENS. They're, they have the full benefits of being blockchain native. So self-custody, censorship resistant, it's, you know, transfer, easy transferability, et cetera. Um, but ENS also actually has uh, made it, is trying to integrate with the legacy DNS uh, naming uh, domain system. And what that means is that if you have a DNS domain name, you can actually import that into ENS with the same DNS ending. So for example, I have bcmilligan.com on DNS. I've imported that. And so now I also have bcmilligan.com, not .eth, that would be a different name, but bcmilligan.com on ENS. So like you can send me Dogecoin to bcmilligan.com right now. It works. Um, and it's all using you know ENS on Ethereum in the background. And what you said that I guess, uh, you know, like companies say like walmart.com, right? That they, um, you know, transferred over to ENS. Would all the payments on, say, walmart.com, you know, purchases, it would just be the same thing? It, you know, it'd go to their address now instead of, um, I guess, their back-end payment system on Web2. But now on Web3, it would just go to uh, a wallet. Yeah, I mean, they could use it however they want. Um, it's also be a way, let's say, using the Walmart example, <clears throat> 
we we already know that Walmart, the company, owns Walmart.com. Like that's already that. So taking real uh, physical world identity and importing into the digital world is a very difficult problem, which we don't need to get into. But in the case of many companies, they've already done that in the sense that we all know there's no dispute at all that Walmart, the company, owns Walmart.com. So if Walmart, the company, also wanted to have an Ethereum wallet and you want to know, is this well, is this Ethereum wallet, you know, Ethereum's wallet, did they, did they issue this NFT or is this an imposter? Well, if they own, if they've imported in and own Walmart.com and that's the name of their wallet, well, then you know it's Walmart because only the owner of Walmart.com on DNS could have done that. And we all know that that's Walmart. Super, super cool. Um, and I had an, another question on uh, just kind of like the relevance of having a user set up a subdomain rather than just like using their own domain. For instance, like, uh, say you're using a protocol, it's a wallet, right? Um, so your name would be like your name, dot, the protocol's name, dot ETH. Why not just own your name, dot ETH? You could. Um, so for just normal dot ETH names, there's a co- there's like an, um, a registration fee that scales to how long you have the name. So you can pay ahead as many years as you want. So you, if you want it for 10 years, you don't have to think about it. You can pay ahead 10 years, but there is just a cost. Whereas subdomains um, have no registration fee at all. So it's sort of like, yes, technically we could all have our own DNS domain names and be running our own email servers, have our own custom email, and some people do, but for most people, just getting a free Gmail account is good enough. Sweet. And just my last question before I pass it on to Chase here. Um, what would what would you say separates yourself from other naming or uh, in providers? <clears throat> Well, um, a couple of things. One, ENS, if you mean blockchain naming stuff. Yes, um, blockchain. ENS is a serious attempt at a new protocol of the internet. So it's not just some private privatized product that we're selling. Um, it's, a, it's an open source, open public. You know, there's no gatekeepers. It's owned by the community. Um, you know, it's credibly neutral. This is, we're trying to build this as a new protocol of the internet. <clears throat> that, that, that's a, a unique thing about ENS. Another is... ENS has far more um, ecosystem adoption. Like, you know, ENS has several times more integrations than all other blockchain identity naming systems combined. I mean, it's like way ahead. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that this is like a community, Ethereum community-wide effort to have a, you know, a decentralized identity system. So everybody kind of just adopts it by default as opposed to it's just some like, you know, some privatized closed system. And it's like, well, why would I, you know, why would people adopt that? They don't, it doesn't have as much adoption. adoption. There's that. Um, yeah, I mean, there's no gatekeepers. Anybody can register a name directly themselves. They don't have to go through anything. Uh, it's run completely by a DAO. All the, all, the, all the revenue goes back to the DAO, goes back to the ecosystem. It's, you know, back to the community. Um, everything is specified with the EIP standards. It's all open. Yeah. Anyway. Thank you, Brantley. Oh, this is another key thing. Um, ENS is forward compatible with traditional DNS. So pretty much all other blockchain naming projects out there I'm aware of actually are not. I mean, that they're, they're using TLDs that are not reserved and are not forward compatible with DNS and, um, a lot of people don't know that the DNS suffix namespace expands over time, like new endings get added. And it's highly likely 
that a lot of these other endings that, you know, in other projects people are selling names off of, they're just going to get added to DNS and, you know, be sold to different people. And then because anything that exists on DNS can be imported into ENS, those, those things will also work on ENS. Um, so that's a, another uh, distinguishing feature. Brantley, I, I wanted to circle back to kind of more like the philosophical side of things, because I, I really do believe that this is like a true paradigm shift in, in thinking about how we interact on the Internet and almost kind of in a sense, what even is the Internet to begin with? Um, I'm actually curious, like, what, what are some of the biggest challenges that you found in educating people around the portability and the ownership of having this established presence on the Internet um, with with your own account? Well, it, it's, it's a mindset shift, you know, it's uh, people are very used to the old ways where we have these centralized services and we have accounts and we're customers of them. And and by the way, I'm not anti web, too. Um, I, I think a lot of people make the mistake you have to be anti-Web 2 to be pro-Web 3. I think that's dumb. Uh, there's a lot of great things in Web 2. I think, you know, kind of central cloud computing, that paradigm has does a lot of things really, really, really well. It's not going away anytime soon. I just think Web 3 is a new paradigm, and it will obsolesce certain things of Web 2, but some things of Web 2 will stick around, I think, a long time. Um, but it's, it's just a different mentality of, like, I'm in charge of myself, uh, there is no company I'm dealing with here. There's no customer service. Like I have to be have responsibility. And I think that a lot of people, there are some growing pains with that sometimes. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think it just brings more tools to the tool belt. And I think it enhances our overall experience. I think there's a lot of good things that we do have from Web2. I mean, at the end of the day, Web2 is what brought, a, brought all of us together to, to chat today. So um, I, I do kind of agree with you there. I'm actually curious, like, how do you view this kind of playing out and disrupting the status quo for a lot of Web2 players? Like, how can they pivot to stay um, competitive in this new paradigm shift of how we will kind of interact and operate within, within the internet? Well, you know, um, I'd say whenever you have par a paradigm shift, <clears throat> Sometimes some of the incumbents, you know, will be agile enough, flexible enough that they can adapt to the new environment and they can survive the transition. But it's not uncommon that a lot of incumbents, just, they're not capable of it. They, they just, they don't have, they're too stuck, built a certain way in their culture. Uh, I mean, how they're making their money, they, they don't have the vision, they don't, they don't feel like they can take risks. Um, and so some ways, a lot of things probably won't make the transition. Um, but, you know, there's many forces happening all at once. And sometimes things, you know, will surprise you. I mean, let's look at like e-commerce. You know, that was a huge transition that happened. But the number one retailer in the United States by, by uh, revenue, I mean, it's Walmart. And the vast majority of their stuff is just normal in-store stuff. I mean, that's kind of maybe that'd be surprising. Although Amazon is one of the most successful companies in human history and does a huge amount too, and it's growing and Walmart's doing more online. You know, that might be like an unexpected way things have gone. So, you know, like e-commerce, we've had we have that, but it didn't make the other stuff completely go away. So I don't know. We'll see how things play out. Right. Yeah, and for for those that do want to make that pivot and you know be a little bit more competitive in the landscape what what does that process look like for say a wallet or even a protocol to integrate with with ENS 
I'm sorry, what's the question? Yeah, I was saying for, for those companies or projects or products that do want to pivot and be a little bit more competitive in this landscape, what does that process of integration look like with ENS if you're, say, like a wallet or even a protocol? You're, you're saying like a Web2 company, how should, how should they use ENS? Um, or even just a Web3 company, like what what does that onboarding process look like to use the service that ENS provides? Oh, oh yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, if you're a wallet, you should let people send ENS names. I mean, it's pretty simple. It's not hard to implement. And in fact, a large number of wallets do. I mean, I'd say pretty much all the top top wallet top wallets do. Um, side comment: something if you if you really get into the weeds in Web3 in any category, you'll discover there's often a power law distribution. In, in the sense that there's a, a few big players and then there's a long, long, there's, there's a much longer tail of like people attempting but not succeeding very well. I mean, the same thing's true of wallets, same true is true of like L1 blockchains. I mean, so many things. Um, so yeah, if you're a wallet, just let, let that. And then um, any, anytime you're showing somebody, let's say like an Ethereum address or something, you should be showing, do try, attempting what's called a reverse lookup and seeing if they have an ENS name and displaying that instead. And when you display the name, you can also display their avatar next to it. In fact, hundreds of apps do this, but it just needs to be ubiquitous. We need to completely get away from the idea that users are even looking at their ZeroX addresses. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. So, yeah. Yeah, and kind of pivoting a little bit to talk about the ENS token, I, you know, Twitter, it was all the rave on Twitter for, for the airdrop. You guys did a, such a wonderful job with the airdrop. And I saw a lot of positive comments around Twitter. Um, so for those that don't know, maybe could you tell us what the ENS token is and the importance it plays? I know you kind of touched on it briefly uh, just earlier, but if you can kind of expand on that. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. So the ENS protocol has existed since May 2017, so a long time. And um, the core components of ENS are decentralized and self-running and don't require any, they don't have any human input. So for example, like nobody can take your name away from you. Like that's, there's no nothing to govern there because it's not possible. <clears throat> that, that's the core components. But there are a few parameters and aspects of the protocol where basically we don't know how to automate them yet. So for example, uh, the pricing and registration parameters for Dottie's names, like we could just like set like lock in stone for all time, uh, a pricing scheme for Dottie's names, but it's like 20 years from now, are we, are we confident that 20 years from now, that's still going to make sense that we're going to be happy about that or, or a hundred years from now. And remember we're building this for the long term. This is not just some short term cash grab. This is, like, I'm serious, like a new protocol of the internet. So I'm not confident that we know how to like set a pricing and registration mechanism that we will forever be happy with. So that requires some human discretion, some ability to change over time. So there's something. Another thing to do, uh, deal with is, well, the protocol's raising revenue and because there is no for-profit company behind it, well, what happens to the revenue? Like, how is it spent? There needs to be some mechanism for the community to decide that. And, uh, uh, DAOs have been around for a while, but um, we just thought that DAOs um, as a technology have improved enough. You know, they're not perfect. I, I hope they'll continue to improve, but they've improved enough that we can trust a DAO with basically managing those things. So, um, so it's just a governance token. It's just a way to have more distributed and democratic control of these parts of the protocol that still require some human discretion.
And and so are those the fees? Are those distributed back to token holders as of now, or is that on the docket for the governance proposals? I mean, is the is the is the revenue given to token holders? Yes. No. So the revenue just goes to the ENS Dow Treasury, and um, there is no plan for uh, dividends. Uh, it's meant just to be spent on the ENS ecosystem and possibly on other Web3 public goods. Um, another key thing we have, so we have the, the smart contracts that run the DAO, like actually mechanistically make it work. But we also have something, this was, this was a new thing, I don't think anyone else had done before. We have something called the ENS Constitution. It's a written document um, on the values of the ENS project and community. And it was something actually when people claimed their tokens that they could approve or disapprove of different uh, proposed articles for the constitution. It, it was really short. It was things like, you know, we should, oh, we should never build a system where we can, you know, be taking people's names away. We shouldn't target users um, and things like that. And another one of those things was the money should be used for the protocol and for the furtherance of the ENS project and not, you know, like as dividends or something. And, you know, the constitution's not like, Forced by code, but it's more like community stated community norms. So I'd say that's the expectation. Yeah, DAOs, DAOs are extremely fascinating to me. Like the idea, um, but I think there are some pitfalls currently. I'm curious, like what do you think are some of the the larger challenges to overcome for DAOs to be successful and have that longevity over a longer period of time? Because the way I look at it is, um, in a lot of DAO structures, you have varying levels of commitment, um, you know, even competent, uh, competency within the DAO. Um, and so I'm just curious, like, what, what do you kind of see as some of the, the learning lessons that will need to be kind of like overcame to be a successful DAO over the long term? Yeah, I mean, um, getting engagement, getting people involved, you know, actually caring. I mean, this is a constant problem, of course. One thing, the ENET, what we did, is it's not perfect, but it's it's an improvement. Is from the beginning we had a, a delegation model. What this means is that for you, you, if you have your tokens, it's one one vote, one token uh, per token. To vote, you have to delegate your tokens so that they can vote. Now you could delegate to yourself, and then you're able to vote with your own tokens, or you can delegate to other people. And in the token claim app, when people were claiming we pushed people to delegate to somebody who had nominated themselves because the assumption is that the vast majority of people, uh, they don't have time to be involved in governance. You know, maybe they have some opinions, maybe they don't, uh, but they can pick maybe a community member that they know and trust and that person can act on their behalf. And so from the beginning, we have this delegate model set up. Uh, now that's not perfect. There are some problems. Um, for example, we're using a, a, a fork of the compound DAO um, smart contracts is what everybody everybody uses. One thing, it doesn't have a way to retire from being a delegate. So let's say like I'm, so for example, I'm a delegate. I have like 450,000 tokens delegated to me. That just means I have that much voting power. I, I can't, I don't own those tokens. I just have the voting power. Let's say I don't want to be a, a delegate anymore. I would just, right now, I just have to like, I guess, tell people on Twitter, hey, I'm not going to be a delegate anymore. Delegate away from me. But most people might not know or they don't hear or they have to do something. I can't like retire and have my votes delegated to someone else or something. Um, so like, you know, there's things like that that need to be developed. Uh, but we just thought that DAO technology was good enough 
but I, I certainly hope that it will evolve over time. And the ENS DAO smart contracts are upgradable. So if, you know, better versions come out, we can vote to upgrade to the better versions. And I expect that we'll do that many times. That's awesome. And you guys, I believe, have a multi-sig, I think, four of seven. Could you kind of touch on uh, the purpose of that and what, the, like, how that plays a part within this larger um, protocol? Yeah, so that is something completely separate from the DAO. Uh, the four seven multi-sig, that's existed since 2017 and still exists today um, for a few things. Basically, like I said, how there's a few parameters that we don't know how to automate. They need human discretion. Well, <clears throat> uh, before we had a DAO, this was basically what the best we had. Well, let's just have a, a, a big multi-sig. Um, the way for us to have some accountability is only one of the multi-sig holders uh, was on the ENS team. And the other six were just like people in the Ethereum community who are respected, who aren't involved in ENS. So, for example, like Taylor Monahan from MyCrypto. Or Sergey from Chainlink. I mean, he's like a key holder. I mean, there's you can still listen on the website. And uh, <clears throat> for the DAO, a lot of their power just got passed to the DAO. So now the DAO is control of the pricing and registration parameters and control of the the um, treasury. Um, there's a few things that the multi-sig holders still have. <clears throat> this requires some technical discussions, but basically. While .eth names are completely locked from anyone's control, no one can do anything with that. Um, DNS names that are imported into DNS, actually those are ultimately in the control of the multisig, and there's various reasons for that. Uh, that will probably eventually get passed to the DAO as well. Um, but for the for the time for time being, we thought, well, the the pricing and registration for .eth names and the treasury that that was kind of like enough for the DAO to start with. And maybe in a year or two, if the DAO is doing well, then we'll transfer the rest of it and we'll just disband the multi-sig. Um, but that's why that multi-sig exists. Gotcha. Yeah, that's um, that's really interesting. And, and speaking of one of the key holders, you had mentioned Sergey. Um, one of the questions that we had actually received from some community members that reached out to us before this episode were, um, they were curious about what the integration looks like for ENS with uh, utilizing Chainlink CCIP. I'm not sure if you can kind of expand on that or, or touch on that, but that was one of the questions that we had received. So, you know, we're friends, we're friends with Chainlink. Um, I mean, Nick, the creator of VNS and the lead developer, I think he's like personal friends with Sergey. They, they've done various things together over the years. Um, I, I also am acquainted with Sergey. Uh, we like what they're doing. It's very important work. We use the ES protocol actually uses Chainlink um, at the ETH to USD price oracle. So, for example, for Dottie's names, uh, the registration fee is denominated in dollars, even though you pay in Ether, which means we need a price oracle. Originally, we used the MakerDAO oracle for a couple of years, and then like a year or two ago, we switched to the Chainlink oracle because that had come out. We just thought it had had some improvements. And so um, we use Chainlink in the protocol itself. <clears throat> and then with CCIP, so... Uh, ENS, where we want to start putting things on L2s, of course, and this has been something we've been working on for more than a year, almost a year and a half at this point. Uh, this stuff's very, very complicated work. And to do this, we, um, we've created a new protocol for off-chain to L1 communication. And we ended up partnering with Chainlink on this. And this has ended up just being a part of their whole CCIP read system. I'm sorry, CCIP system. 
And this part that we've been partnering with them on is called CCIP Read. And uh, basically, it's a standard for if you're a, an application and all you know is Ethereum Layer 1, <clears throat> well, you can use this certain standard gateway service, basically, to get information from other sources in a trustless way. And this should have use cases far beyond ENS. This is just a general purpose thing. Um, although uh, we will be using it for ENS uh, at first to let people store subdomains and records off chain, and then eventually other parts of ENS as well. But that's what we're doing there. That's awesome. That's uh, that's super fascinating. Um, thank you for answering my barrage of questions right there. Uh, Mewtwo, did you did you have a question you want to get in? Yeah, Brandon, I was just curious, like from your perspective, like for the listeners, what, what new developments can they look forward to in, in 2022 for the rest of the year? I am extremely excited about ENS for this year um, because we have some major, major improvements that I think will just take ENS to the next level. I mean, I think the DAO and the token launch um, was a key a uh, milestone in the history of ENS. And I think that that went pretty well. It wasn't perfect, you know, of course, with anything you look back, oh, I would have done this differently, but I think we successfully got that done. It was critical to just really uh, decentralizing governance of ENS. The next big thing that's like imminent uh, is this L2 stuff with CCIP read. We actually just finished the EIP standard for CCIP read. Uh, we're doing some, some final implementation stuff and we're going to start seeing some use of this, I think, in the next like few weeks, potentially. Like maybe by the end of February, we might even see the first use um, for the, like the average person starting to use it. And, you know, it's going to take some time to make it just easier, like adding support to our manager and things like this. But we're going to start seeing some projects, some people starting to use it here soon, hopefully. And um, that is extremely important to the future growth and success of ENS, you're starting to put things off of layer one. Um, and this is just the first step, of course, things will will get other parts off of layer one over time as well, but it's just the first step. So that's huge. Another major project that we've been working on for many months is a total redesign of the manager app. If you've used ENS, you know, man, register a name, you know, we have a manager, it's, it works fine, but um, there's a lot that, you know, that we've learned and we're completely redesigning it. Um, we actually have a Twitter account des uh, dedicated to our de uh, design kind of people. It's design.ens.eth is what it's called, or, or at ENS designer. And if you go there, we kind of post updates as we're going along. I'm super excited about it. Um, I think this manager app, I, I, am, I so believe in our designers. I think this might even set like new standards for how Web3 design is done. I, I'm very excited about it. I think that's going to be a like quantum leap for ENS. Uh, related to that is we're also making some smart contract changes around how ENS names work and how registrations work. Not the basic parameters, but some of the capabilities. Uh, for example, right now, when you register a .eth name, uh, you, you register it and it automatically sets up your record uh, your record set and sets your ETH address. Well, and with um, the new manager and with some smart contract upgrades, you know how you do one transaction, you wait a minute, and then you do a second transaction. Well, during that wait period, you're going to now, now be able to fill out your profile 
like set an avatar, all these things. And then when you do that second transaction, it's going to set up your entire profile all at once. So you're completely ready to go with everything. Um, it'll be way easier. It's also, um, if you've registered your name, you know, there's this extra step. You have to set your primary ENS name. It's like another transaction is kind of annoying. Um, in the new manager and with the smart contract changes, that will be set by default automatically in the registration process itself. The logic there is a bit tricky because like if you already have one set, then it doesn't set automatically, but it'll make sense. Don't worry. Um, that should make that much easier. Um, we also have something called the name wrapper coming out, which is just a uh, an upgrade to the capabilities of ENS names in general. Um, it's going to add a, like new um, features to make subdomains much more desirable. It's going to have some NFT uh, uh, capability upgrades. Anyway, so my expectation is that by the end of 2022, ENS sh might even feel like a different project. Like it's going to be so much better. That's what I think. That's what I'm hoping. Let's go. I'm I'm hyped, man. I'm uh, I'm already enjoying ENS, and uh, I'm really just excited to hear that you guys are continuing to push the envelope, continuing to develop. Um, and like you said, like this isn't this isn't a project that's going away. Like you guys are are really uh, here for the long term. We're setting it up, setting it up for the long term and long term success of of crypto. So it's it's awesome, Brantley. Yeah, uh, Brantley. Normally, just near the end of these shows, we uh, we like to bring on some audience members to ask some questions. Are are you cool with that? Yeah, let's go ahead. All right, guys. If, if you want to ask questions, just hit that request button. We'll let people on one at a time. We got a few people popping up. And the, <clears throat> while we're waiting for some people, I'm just curious: how many ENS domains do you uh, do you own? Good question. I don't know. Um, I mean, you could look it up on chain. I, uh, you could have multiple wallets. <laughs> that's true. I don't, I mean, I don't really separate things out a huge amount. I have a couple wallets, but like most of my stuff like that's just in my main public one. I figure my stuff's public enough. I'm like, eh, I should just not even really try to hide it. I, I have a bunch, but I have things like from, of celebrities and I'm trying to get to them and things like that. And, I have had some success with that, but there's some I'm still working on. Welcome to the stage, Xando. Thank you. Thank you. And Brantley, I'm a huge fan of ENS, huge adopter. Yeah. Hey, and, man. Um, I've, I've been uh, tracking you on Twitter, so you might have seen me post some stuff. And actually, my question is going to be relate to a recent post that I made. Uh, oh, yeah. Were you the guy I said, oh, I was going to say not going to make it, but then I said you have a dot each name and I held no, that? No, not me. <laughs> that was that was not you. Okay, there was somebody. Else yeah, yeah. I said that okay, good. I, I didn't say okay, that. Okay, cool. Then. Good. But this this is an honor, and so thanks for for bringing me up. So uh, I I recently bought Dottie's names for my entire family. I have a family of four. Got a nine year old daughter, a uh, nine year old son, fourteen year old daughter, my wife, myself. So we all have ENS names. Um, I bought NFTs to uh, serve as avatars. I, I'm I'm full. I'm I'm you know I'm all in. Yeah. So what, what, amazing. So what I'm wondering is what suggestions do you have for a family like us or, or for, for families anywhere who wanted to get into ENS? They, they hear about Web3. They, they hear about NFTs. It's, they're pumping. They want, they want to be part of that action. They may not be serious crypto people, but they, they, they want to join in. 
right? They want to they want to welcome themselves to Web three. What suggestions do you have for those type of families? I, I'm a little you know I'm a little more technical, et cetera, but I, I really want more families to adopt it the way I have because I think it's really beneficial. And and you know my whole thing is my kids are young and in 10 years and in 15 years when they're really at their peak and, and their control of their lives, web three is going to be dominating. So I want them to be ready and I want to get them ready now. So I'll, I'll stop there. Yeah. Good. Woo. Uh, love it. And I completely agree with you. It's funny. I think like a few months ago, I actually had a Twitter spaces on like crypto parenting tips or something like this it was kind of an interesting topic. Yeah. I mean, I think, Look, I agree with you. I think Web3 is the future. It's inevitable at this point. This is clearly the future. And I think uh, Web3 identities, you know, ENS names and profile pics and things like this, this is the future. And I, I totally agree with you. Uh, you know, I obviously have it for myself. I got um, a first name .eth for my wife, Krista.eth. I managed to snag that from, from somebody on, on, on OpenSea and I got her a pixel portrait. Uh, I will say for, for my kids... I have six kids and that would be a lot of first names to try to snag. So although children, you know, if, if you're listening, I love you dearly, but not enough to try to get your, all your first names. So my plan with them is I got our, I was successfully got our last name. So Milligan. So I have Milligan.eth and um, I've actually made subdomains for some of the older ones who've asked about it. And I can just, you know, make subdomains for all of them. Uh, in fact, my older kids, they, you know, I don't know if you've seen the ENS in real life, thing and my older ones have started like putting dot eth names as their name on their papers at school which is kind of cool but yeah so, i think it's totally the future yeah so so one thing that i one idea that i had is you know now i've got their ens name with an avatar and my son loves his i still got to look for another nft that my daughter will love but you know like when when we tag stuff like okay here's your here's your school bag here's your stuff like that's the t i'll put that on there i mean that's yes. kind of what i'm how i'm thinking yeah, I mean, look, it like it's people listening to this might think it's kind of crazy, but I don't because I think I think we're just ahead of the curve, right? I think this is the future, and there's a lot of there's a lot of weird stuff happening in crypto, or at least stuff that seems weird, that it's just it just hasn't gone mainstream yet, and I think that there's a lot um, often to be gained in crypto, as in many things, of being early because you're prepared. You've got the names you want. You know, you've got the things that you want. You're ready to go uh, rather than uh, scrambling later. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you for coming up. Good question. Thanks for coming up, brother. Hey, Brentley. Welcome to the stage. It's uh, Mason here from A16Z. Just want to say we're big fans and hey Mason. Uh, curious. I, I saw that there used to be a subdomains kind of marketplace contract where you could kind of like OpenSea sell your subdomains, but you had to revoke access to your domain and kind of give it up to the smart contract. I'm curious if there's there could be a way down the line where you could not give up access to your ENS name and still be able to sell subdomains. And then relatedly. I've seen an increase in subdomain-based DAOs, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on those as well. Yeah, great topic. And um, you are right. A16Z, extremely impressive on being on the ball on these things. Like, I think I just tweeted this the other day. Like, there's a lot of A16 people with .es names on Twitter, and it really stands out. It's, I mean, with Ben Horowitz himself leading the way. I mean, it's incredible. 
Um, okay, so on subdomains, so yes. So here's what's going on. Um, if you have a parent, if you have a, if you have a name, any subdomains can be controlled by the parent domain, right? There's a hierarchy and authority. Um, if you wanted to issue right now, if you want to issue subdomains that you can't take away from people, the only way to do that is you give up control of the parent domain, like to a smart contract, which then nobody controls and the smart contract issues subdomains, but can't take them away because it doesn't have that function and nobody controls it. Okay. That's what you're talking about. And you're right. The, the negative thing is, well, you have to give up the second level. You have to give up the, the main domain, right? That's not very nice. So yes, we are working on, not only is it possible, we're actually working on something right now uh, to enable exactly what you said, where you could issue subdomains that you can't take back, but you don't have to give up your normal domain. And uh, we're working on some, the thing we're working on is called the name wrapper. You can go to our GitHub actually and look for the name wrapper repo. The code's mostly done. I think we need to get it audited and it's gonna be kind of folded into a bunch of the upgrades I mentioned earlier around um, other registration things and the, the the new manager and things like this but the name wrapper uh, will do a many uh, upgrades to ens names but one of them is it will let you like i said issue subdomains that you can't take back that you're giving up the main domain um, the name wrapper will require a person to wrap old names so like, it's, it's like you'll have to decide to upgrade to the name wrapper, then you'll have that new capability, but I think people will. And then we'll make it so that new names going forward are wrapped by default. Um, so yes, that, I think that is, one of, that is something that could revolutionize how subdomains are offered to people. That's awesome, thank you. You also asked something about DAOs and like DAOs using subdomains. Yeah, like for instance, Sysmo is a DAO that's based around kind of minting subdomains for the DAO members. Um, I think we'll, I think we'll see more of this, uh, since that code's open source. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I've been encouraging this for a while and I'm glad that I'm starting to see some groups do this. I've also seen that, oh, it's like the, the cat country. It's like the per something country club, the PCC, they have PCC.eth and they, they, they've made their own web app where if you have one of their cat uh, profile pics, NFTs, and only if you have that, they will give you a subdomain and set the avatar to your cat automatically. And they have like a, over like 130 of their members have done this. It's incredible. Um, and yeah, I've had this idea that subdomains could become like, I don't know, like badges of honor or like ways of um, flexing a little bit. Um, like what if, the Uniswap DAO would give delegates, you know, subdomains of Uniswap.eth. And then that's like, a, you know, the only way you could have gotten it was from doing that. And that, that's something you can kind of show off forever. Like, you know, yeah, I was, in the, I was in the Uniswap DAO or something like that. It's kind of like, you're an OG, it's like an OG thing. Yeah, I think we're going to see a lot more with subdomains once we have the name wrapper and also once CCIP read comes out, enables the creation of subdomains off chain, which can make the cost either zero or near zero, depending on how you do it. Thanks, Brantley. And uh, I'll just add that uh, if anyone's building cool stuff on ENS, don't hesitate to reach out. Thank you. Yeah, Mason, what are you? So you, you're in the, the crypto section of A16Z? Yeah, that's right. I'm on the deal team. But also that's doing awesome. some engineering and research, too. I have a software engineering background. Oh, well, are you guys specialized 
further within the crypto uh, team or you just all do all things crypto? We have some loose specializations, but we really look at anything we want to in all of crypto. That's awesome. It's very cool. Very cool. Thank you, Mason, for coming on and asking that. Real quick, I have a question from one of our um, longtime listeners. He's asking uh, if if you have thought on building up the ENS community through physical meetups slash events and not just online. And if so, do you have uh, plans to have ENS representatives at future conferences slash events? Uh, I, I'd love to do in-person events. Um, and in, so pre-COVID in 2019, back in the day, you know, there were tons of crypto events. I'll say, I mean, I personally went to a large number and we had other people going to them too. And it was, a, it was a key part of the whole crypto industry. You know, going to events and you see your friends and see people and meet new people. And it was a great thing. And then, of course, crypto, uh, COVID made it all go away. I think this year, though, I expect to be almost like 2019 again. I mean, we had some events last year. And this year, it's like there's tons of events planned. I know I personally plan on going to a lot of events. A lot of events. So, like, I plan on being at East Denver. Um, I just got tickets to go to Ethereum Rio in in March, um, and I'm probably going to be going to Dev Connect in East Amsterdam in Amsterdam in April, and many others uh, the rest of the year. So, I, I definitely want to meet people. In fact, to me, the events it's all about meeting people. Like, you know, this, this is my philosophy about these events. <clears throat> like the speaking and stuff, it's it, it's a it's an excuse to get together, which is fine. Uh, but it's like there's no secret knowledge. Like I could be at home and I could listen to someone talk or I could read a blog post or whatever. I, I don't need to go to an event to get, you know, the information. But at the event, you can meet people and you can have incidental contact. Like you're in the food line and you meet some person there. And you, you can build relationships with people at projects that would be maybe difficult to do online. And then that can carry carry on online. Um, so I think it's critical. In terms of having like ENS specific events, I mean, I'm open to anything and people want to organize it. Uh, we, you know, we have a funding mechanism, you know, through the Dow now. People could get funding if they want to put things on. I'd say, yeah, it'd be awesome. Sweet. Yeah, Mewtwo and I are actually uh, going to be out there at East Denver. So you know, maybe we'll grab. That'd be great. Jordo, I, I hope that answers your question as well. Welcome to the stage, Mr. Yuck Sticker. Hey, Branley. Thanks, guys. Uh, big fan of ENS. Uh, Branley, my question goes to this. I was contact. How I got really into ENS was after the Dow, and then I was contacted by a corporate company to secure their ENS name. And at this point, as we move forward in this discussion, is anybody looking at like point of sale tracking? or any of that yet in ENS. So you're saying uh, you're working with a brand who wants to get their brand names thing. Yeah. I mean, they're definitely forward thinking. They see this is definitely, they, they, they wanted it. They, we secured it. And as we look at like what's, as I look at like what's coming, digital assets, has anybody thought of like, is there anything now or discussions or even thoughts of like, any kind of tracking a point of sale of transactions and to make this easier for them, like an, on a more, does that make sense? I, I don't know if that some way to track it for them easily. I don't know if this, I'm not very good at uh, AP. I don't know if this is easy on API, but is it, does that help like a moon pay 
integration to the like a corporate <coughs> wallet. So you're saying tracking what? Tracking people paying them money, they can track it. Exactly. Okay, yeah. So uh, ENS doesn't help with that. So the reason for that is that with ENS is just like a lookup system. Like if I send Ether, let's say to Brantley.eth, what what's happening in the background? Let's say I type it into MetaMask. I'm sending Ether to Brantley.eth. MetaMask looks up Brantley.eth on ENS on Ethereum. It looks, finds my records. It grabs the Ethereum address that's stored there. It comes back to the wallet, and then it sends it as a normal transaction to my address. So you don't, you like, you actually technically you don't send to a name. You just like it looks like you're sending to a name. Does that make sense? Um, but if you're sending sending to an address. All that information is stored on chain and, um, you know, just normal, normal uh, blockchain information. All right. Thanks, Brantley. I guess I, if I could give you an example. So if it would be like, if it was, it, it isn't Pepsi.com, but if they, if a company's going to port like web two to web three is, I guess, yeah, I, I guess I need to learn more. I'm still new. I just, I'm basically securing these for them. And as we're all learning and crossing and, and, you know, I, I don't want to ask any dumb questions. Huge fan guys. Thank you for letting me take the time. No, but these I'll are not dumb there. questions. Very important questions. Yeah. Right. I mean, so if you, let's say if Pepsi, you know, uh, imports Pepsi.com into ENS, I'd say um, a lot of things they could do with that. To me, I think the most useful thing probably to Pepsi is that they can then use that as the Web3 username for their Ethereum wallet. So then they can have like a, an Ethereum wallet that is identified very clearly as the Pepsi company's wallet. And like if they do actions um, in Web3, that wallet can be identified as Pepsi.com. I think that's very useful. Let's say if they issued NFTs. Well, we can all see, well, that was issued by Pepsi.com, you know, the Ethereum wallet, Pepsi.com. I think that's really useful. But I think, you know, we're going to see a lot of experimentation. A, a cool thing about ENS is that it's it's a very simple system that's open and it doesn't require permission from anybody to do something new with it. So I think we'll, we'll, we'll see a lot of different experiments with it. That answers your question, Mr. Yuck. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, guys. Yeah, and sir, thank you very much. Thank you for helping companies uh, get an ENS. Really appreciate it. It's awesome. Very based. All right, Brantley, got time for one more? Sure. Yeah, one more. By the way, uh, if you're bringing up another person, if you are out there and you work for a company that they want to secure their .eth name as a brand, and somebody of course maybe already has it, and you want help getting that, in the audience right now is validator.eth. Um, he is on the ENS core team, and he is an expert in tracking down who has the name, negotiating it. Uh, just so you know, we've actually we've actually intentionally fostered a culture of gifting of brand names. Like, you know, don't try to, you know, hold out for tons of money. Just, you know, actually proactively gift .eth names to brands. And validator.eth actually has done this so much. He used to have the nickname back in the day of the ENS fairy. Like he's literally the ENS fairy. He's an expert in this. Um, so if you need help, contact him. And 
uh, he will do the best he can to help you out. And we've we've helped out tons of celebrities and brands get their Dottie's names. Um, you know, we can't promise, you know, success, but uh, Validator Dottie's would be the best person to help you. Welcome to the stage, Uber. Uh, it's showing he's connecting for me. Oh, shit. Karen for me. All right, we'll give him a second. Uh, but while, while Uber's uh, pending, Brantley, just really, really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come on and speak to us, man. It's been awesome. Yeah, no, thanks for, thanks for the invite. Are Plus we going to do this one, one more person or, or are we done? I think he dropped. I think that's it, guys. Just also, appreciate the time, Brantley. We do record these and put them on YouTube and uh, and Spotify and so on. Are you okay with that? Of course, yeah. And uh, whoever got dropped, um, I also just I do Twitter Spaces regularly, so um, you know you could we could bring you on another time. Also, um, our Discord, you know, is twenty four seven. We have a great community there. If somebody has a question about something or an idea or anything, uh, go there. The Discord is the best place for that. Awesome. Uh, everyone stay based. Appreciate everyone tuning in and, and listening. And um, Brantley, where can they follow you and, and stay up to date? Obviously, the Discord, you have your Twitter, you have a newsletter, anything like that? Yeah, I would say my, just follow me on Twitter. And then if you want to know more about ENS, go to ens.domain.